ultimately be known. In a bit of a similar sense, Islam sees Allah create out of, out of a command, and, and really the purpose is then to follow his command. Buddhism answers this question in, in almost not answering it at all. It very much tries to avoid how things came into existence because really the purpose of life is just individual enlightenment. In a very similar way, secularism answers this question with, with naturalism, right? The Big Bang happened, and everything after that is just sort of a natural series of random events. There, there's no purpose in life, so, 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 you know, do what you want. Do whatever feels good. Find your own purpose in life. It's very individualistic, but ultimately nihilistic. There is no purpose, so do what you want kind of approach. In light of all of those, I think actually, not only does the Bible offer a true answer to all of that, I think it offers a better answer to all of that. God was not lonely and therefore had to create the world in order to, to be around someone as if there was some sort of defect in God, nor has he stood so far off that we can't ever get to know God. In fact, he comes close and enters into creation and far from being no purpose in life or just some sort of individualistic figure it out yourself, actually God gives us a grand purpose to our lives found in knowing him. And so I've kind of already given away the end of where we're going to go, but we're going to look at, at the doctrine of, of the Trinity in creation. And really, this is what it's looking at. How does God create and why? Why did God create anything at all? And I think the answer the Bible gives to us is beautiful. God has created us. The triune God has created us to actually see his glory and know him. All right. So that's what we're going to walk through. But, but before we kind of get there, I, I know I've kind of I've jumped over something really big already, and that is the, the Trinity itself. I've used that word a few times without really explaining. So let me just take a moment to explain, hopefully quickly, what we mean when we say Trinity, because there's lots of different ideas that, that come out there of what the Trinity actually means and, and what it doesn't mean. So, so Really quick summary, if you didn't hear Pastor Matt last week kind of walk through all the, the bad analogies. By the way, did anyone hear, see that video? That is one of my favorite videos on the internet. It's great. Um, <laughs> there's lots of bad analogies about the Trinity. So really quick, uh, Trinity, three points. There is one God. There is only one God. Number two, God exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person, number three, is fully God. And it's really that last point that puts everything into tension for us, because it's really easy to say, well, there's one God, and there's three persons, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one of them's God, two others are just kind of, you know, creations or some other form of it, but if all of them are God, well, shouldn't we have three? No, we have one. And here we enter into a little bit of the, the tension, the, the mystery the Bible actually reveals to us. God is three in one, three persons in one God. And if you're kind of scratching your head over that, join the club, <laughs> right? Join the club that's been going on for the past 2,000 years of church existence as we have all kind of said, yeah, th there's part of that that we understand and also part of it, we just don't. And in one sense, I find that almost a comforting truth 
As we look at the the massive complexity that our world exists in, all of the the intricacies of just even human body and and physics and, and everything out there, should we not expect that our God who created all of it is still outside of our full conception? Of course. The God who created all these things is still difficult to wrap our minds around. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that we don't know anything or that what we know about God isn't true. See, actually, God has revealed himself to us. God shows us who he is truly, though not fully. We can know true things about who God is, despite the fact that we may never plumb the depths of what it means for God to be three in one. And so that's really what we're looking at in this series. We're looking at the the Trinity, but more than just looking at how those functions work, we're looking at how God has acted at different points in human history, looking first before creation, now in creation. So if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open it. We're going to spend our time jumping through a number of different texts, but we're going to start off in, well, Genesis 1. So Genesis 1 is where we're going to begin. You can put your, uh, you can open your Bibles, put your finger over in uh, John 17 as well. That's going to be the other place we're going to spend some time. But we want to ask these two questions. How did God create and why? All right, so we're going to start really with this first question. How does God create? Because here's, here's the, the first answer we're given, is that the triune God created the world in harmony. The very act of creation was something done in harmony together with all three members of the Trinity working together. All right, so let's look at our, uh, look at our Bibles, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. See, the Bible begins this way, not not simply because it's, well, it's the first chronological thing that has happened. In the beginning, God creates. It begins this way because this is what we need to see about God. He is our creator. First thing right off the bat, God has created. But even in these these first few sentences that the Bible has, we are given some, some hints as to who God is as well. God has created, and yet the text says, verse 2, that the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. People always ask, as, as we read that, we, we can sort of see from, from our own vantage point, oh, okay, we're talking about the Trinity, right? Here's the Father and here's the Holy Spirit. And, and the question is always asked, is that what they understood? Should, the, you know, Moses, who is originally writing this down, should Moses have realized, you know, the full doctrine of the Trinity? And I, I think probably not. He probably would not have understood the the full nature of who God is. That's really something that gets unfolded for us throughout the Bible. But we do get these hints as to who God is, even in creation. The Father here is creating the Holy Spirit here, hovering over, almost tending to this creation. And so God is creating through the the, the six days of creation. And, And if you go down to verse 26 with me, This is on the sixth day of creation. We get our next really big hint about what God is doing. Verse 26 says, Then God said, 
Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right, this short little passage gives us hints into really the question that we're asking here this morning. God, God begins and says, let us create and, and people have always wondered about, well, what does that mean exactly? Even back in the Old Testament, they were also wondering, what exactly does that mean when God says, let us create? But, but I think God is actually answering it for us. Verse 26 says, let us make man in our image. Verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. See, the answer that's demanded by the text is that God isn't just Singular. God is actually more than that. And it's not until we get to the New Testament that we get this picture fully revealed for us. So if you can jump all the way in your minds to, to John chapter 1. John very much imitating the book of Genesis here as he writes. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, just to make sure we're all clear on the context, when, when John here is talking about the word, he's talking about, well, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son. And, and John's whole point here in this introduction is that in the beginning, in Genesis, when God is creating, it is God the Son who is beside the Father. The Father says, let us create, because he's talking about the Trinity. He's talking about the Father, Son, and even Holy Spirit all working together to create. And so John can say, the word Jesus, the Son of God, was in the beginning with God and was God. In fact, the writer of Hebrews makes the exact same point in his introduction. It says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The son was the one who actually created. And if you notice, actually, it says the father is creating through the son, right? The son is sort of the, the, the agent of creation in this, and the Holy Spirit there is, is bringing life. Job writes, he says, the spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all working together in creation. Right? If I, if I can use an analogy, and this analogy will break down, like all analogies, okay? So don't take it any farther than I mean it. Right? We can almost imagine the, the Father acting somewhat as, as, as an architect, right? Giving the, the plans for a, a building. Here's how it's going to look 
And then the son comes in, and he's the one who's actually building it. He's the one with a hammer in his hand, and he's actually putting you know, beams together and, and working out this plan. And the Holy Spirit is the one actually bringing life as, as people move into this building. Again, that analogy will break down in seconds, but it gives us just a, a bit of a framework to understand all three members of the Trinity working together in concert in this creation. How does God create the world? The triune God created the world in harmony together. Each member playing a different note, yet all together bring forth a far more beautiful musical sound than any one by themselves. Right? That's what I mean when I say harmony. Everyone is working together to bring this. And so the picture we have is God creating the world and also how he intends it to function. It's meant to be a reflection of himself. Right? If you still have your Bibles open in Genesis, you can look at verse 27. God creates both male and female in his image to carry on his image and yet to play different parts. I know I'm venturing now into a much bigger discussion on, on, on what does it mean to be male and, and female and, and in God's image, how does that affect gender roles and impacts identity and all that sort of stuff. I, I know that. I'm not going to go there right now. I want to talk about that foundation. Where does that come from? Where does our understanding come from? It comes from how God himself operates. God created us, humanity, in a diversity, yet to function without distinction in worth or being or value or blessing or place before God. There is a unity and yet a diversity within the Godhead that is meant to be reflected in our humanity. Right? It's how God created us to function as, as men and women. In fact, this extends, this foundation then extends to how we work in the church. Right? God has blessed us with a variety of different spiritual gifts, not to create some kind of hierarchy in the church, but rather to say each person is necessary to play the role God has given to them to bless to see the whole church grow. There is to be a unity in the diversity of God's gifts. Right? This foundation extends into our own workplaces. If you are a, a boss, if you're an employer, and you've got people under you, it affects how you treat them because just because they're doing a different role doesn't mean they are of a lesser value or worth in any way. Actually, no, that that's not how God created the world to function. If you are an employee, actually it means that when your boss leaves the room, you're not smack-talking them and complaining constantly, right? Because that person's also made in the image of God. And despite the fact that you guys are doing different things, there is to be a unity in how God has created us to function. Right? This foundation of the Trinity, this unity and diversity, impacts how we think about gender, how we think about race. We could talk about that for a long time. Employment, how we act as a church, Marriage. In fact, every interaction you have with other people ultimately comes back to this foundation. How has God created us to function? It affects how we think about salvation. Who do we share the gospel with? Do we share the gospel with only people who are like us, or, or is the gospel actually for people who aren't like us at all but are still made in God's image? Do we share the good news of Jesus with them? 
right? This foundation actually impacts a great deal about how we act, how we treat one another. How did God create the world? The triune God created the world in harmony, and it is our calling to then reflect that. But already here now, we're, we're leaning into to the next question I want us to consider, and that is really, why? Why did God create? Why did he create anything? Why did he create us? And really, this is, this is an important question to, to actually ask because it, it, it gives us a purpose for why we are here. And here's, here's sort of the, the short answer I want us to see. We are created, God created us to see his glory and to experience his love. We are created to see his glory and to experience his love. Last week, we looked a little bit at what does the Trinity look like before creation? And I'll be the first to admit, the Bible doesn't say a lot. <laughs> right? The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of information about what was happening before God created. I have a ton of questions, right? God, what were you doing, right? But what were you doing before you, you created when it was just you, what did that look like? How long was that? Can you, can you ask a question about time before time has been created? It, it, it's a, anyways, it's mind-boggling to ask, but God hasn't given us all those answers yet. Maybe one day we can ask God in heaven, but what he has told us is amazing. They're critical to understand. Actually, it's that God was happy. I know that almost sounds a bit trite, but, but I actually mean that in a most significant way. God was satisfied. God was happy. There wasn't any lack or need that, that drove God to, to think, I need to create something to fill some kind of hole in my heart. No, actually, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was perfectly loved and loving. The Father loved the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they loved him in perfect harmony and unity for all of eternity past. God was happy. And so that means, actually, God doesn't create because he, he's lonely. He doesn't even create because he needed anything from us. Acts chapter 17, Paul is, is preaching. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God made everything. He doesn't need anything from his creation. God wasn't lonely. He was perfectly loved and loving. God was perfectly satisfied in every way. In fact, God says in Psalm chapter 50, with some sarcasm, I might add, he says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. God says, look, I don't need anything from you. I created everything. I gave you everything. What could you possibly give back to me? There's nothing in all of creation that can add to nor take away from him. And I want us to consider that for just a moment. 
You actually can't take anything from God that he would need. God isn't needy in any way. You might say, well, okay, but God wanted someone to worship him. Right? God needs people to worship him. And a lot of the times it's because we're, we think that way because we're getting God confused with Santa Claus. Santa Claus needs people to have Christmas spirit in order for his sleigh to ride. Okay? That's not who God is. God is not like that. In fact, if the entire world, in some you know, hypothetical sense, in the entire world turned against God, refused to acknowledge him, ignored him, did everything they could possibly do to, to sin and do what he has not told us to do, God wouldn't lack anything. More so even, actually, if, if every person in the world suddenly did follow God, did exactly what he wanted us to do, God actually wouldn't gain anything by that either. There is nothing in all of creation that can take from or add to God. And see, I'm going to argue this is really good news. This is really good news for us. Because if there is nothing in all of creation that we can add to God, what it means? It means actually God has everything we need. God actually contains in himself everything that we could ever want or need. It is found in God and in him alone. There was nothing God needed from creation. And so in all of creation, he has all things. This is why when Paul is sitting in prison, waiting on death row, he can say, I am satisfied. I am content. Why? Because he has God and therefore he has all things. See, if God created the world because he was lacking something, worship or, or glory or, or company or anything, it would mean that he himself is not the supreme source of all goodness. It would mean God is lacking of something. It would mean he isn't really God. But yet, what this means is that every need of ours is ultimately fulfilled in God. But here's where we actually need to be a bit careful not to stop. <laughs> Because if we stopped right there, what we would come to, the conclusion we would come to is God doesn't care. Right? If I can't add anything to God, surely he doesn't actually care about me because I can't do anything for him. It, it, it does betray a little bit how we think about love. Is that someone would only love us if we could add something to them or give something to them. But in fact, that's not what the Bible tells us. God did not create the world out of some need he had. In fact, he created the world out of abundance. God created the world because out of himself, out of his own love, he was so overflowing that he desired to actually share his glory and his love with creation before he even created. God looked forward and said, I love them so much I will create. God didn't create out of need, but out of an abundance overflowing into creation. And really out of that is where we see the purpose for why God created. He created us to experience his glory and love. Look with me now to John chapter 17. 
John 17 is, is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is just before he's about to go to the cross and he is praying to the Father. And this is what he says, John 17, verse five. It says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What is Jesus praying for? He's praying that his disciples would actually see the glory of God that exists within the Trinity. That, that the glory, the radiance, the splendor that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit experienced before the creation of the world, that his disciples would actually see that glory. That is what Jesus is praying for his disciples. In fact, if you follow down to verse 24, Jesus continues, he prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made it known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Why did God create the world? So that we would see his glory and experience his love. God created the world to share his love with. He created us to experience the abundance of his glory and love. In fact, the very act of creation wasn't for his good as though he lacked or needed anything. It was for our good. And see, that's where if we just stop at God doesn't need anything from us, we misunderstand the heart of God. It's true he needs nothing, but he desires yet to give us all things. We were created to know him, to experience joy and love and goodness without measure and without end. That's why God created, so that we could experience and enjoy the fullness of God's delight and love and glory, and that's why nothing else satisfies. This is why sin is such a problem. It's not that sin is going to hurt God. Sin doesn't. Sin grieves God, absolutely. But it's not as if every sin is somehow an attack by which God is going to be hurt. No, sin grieves God because it takes us away from the very purpose he created for us to see and experience and know his love. Sin is so damaging because it takes us from how God created us to function. The joy and love he gave to us, it kills us. And the amazing thing about the love of God is that despite not needing to, God came and rescued us. Jesus, the Son, came and died on that cross so that we could experience his glory and love. That's what Jesus was praying for. In an ultimate sense, Jesus didn't need to do that. We needed him to do that. 
The grandest display of all creation was that God was not compelled to save by anything, but to share his glory and display his love. Jesus went to the cross so that anyone who would trust in him would be forgiven, that we could be with him, that we could experience this love that God has overflowed into creation. The only way that we actually experience what God created us for is through Jesus. Sin separates us from God. But Jesus died on the cross to pay that punishment for our sin. So anyone who trusts in him would be forgiven. And we would be united with God. The purpose of our lives is found in knowing Jesus. God created this whole world with Jesus at the center. Do you know him? Do you trust in him? It's what we're made for, to see his glory and experience his love. So so how did God create? He created in harmony, each member of the Trinity working together. Why did God create? He created as an overflow of his abundance, not for his good, so that we would know him, that we would experience his love and display his glory. See, I began by saying, I I think this should actually affect how we go to work on, on Monday, and I think it should. It should affect how we conduct our lives, what we actually seek after. So if I can encourage you with any one thing, it's seek after, pursue the very thing you were created for. You know, why do we encourage you to read your Bible? It's not because God is keeping a checklist. It's not because it's going to save you. No, it's for your good. It's so that you would actually experience and see more of God's love, that you would behold his glory and his splendor, that you would be able to radiate it back. Why do we say spend time in prayer? It's so that you would actually understand and know and experience the love of God more. Why do we fight against sin? It's because sin kills us. It kills the joy we are created for. If I can paraphrase C.S. Lewis, we don't sin because our desires are too great, but because we are far too easily pleased. We settle for counterfeits. We settle for, for fake, empty, vain joy when the real thing is offered for us in Jesus. And so the question I want to I leave us with then is, when in my day, when in, when in your day, Have we set aside time to pursue what is best? Do we have times in our days, in our weeks, where that is our actual pursuit? I want what is going to be very best in my life. Or have we so filled our days, so packed our schedules with what doesn't ultimately satisfy that we end our days exhausted and done? Instead of giving ourselves time to actually seek what will ultimately satisfy. So I'm not saying there's not lots to do. Nobody is sitting here thinking, I have so much extra time. No one is thinking that. It's a question of, are we going to seek what is best? Are we going to seek the very thing God created us for? Let us put aside a few things that don't ultimately satisfy for what will ultimately bring us the most joy and love and beholding the glory of God. It's what we were created to do. 
So my encouragement for you is to take that step. Put time in your days. Set aside other things so that we would have the time to spend with our God with the very thing he created us to enjoy. Pursue what you were created for. Seek to know God more. Seek to glorify him, to know his love for us in Jesus Christ. That is what will ultimately satisfy. God created us in the harmony of the Trinity that we would know him. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful Lord, it was not because, not because of anything that you needed from us. It was not because of anything that we could do for you that you created, but that you looked forward and that you loved us so much that you created us into this world so that we could experience your love and behold your glory. Father, I pray in all of the, the distractions of life, And Lord, there are so many. Father, I pray, would we make your glory so much grander, so much greater than all these things that it pales in comparison. Father, I pray, would we desire that which ultimately satisfies, not which is momentarily appealing. Oh Lord, I pray, keep us from sin that we might not be distracted, that we might follow you, that we might give to you all the praise and the honor and the glory that are due to you. Father, that we would seek you with everything that we have because in you we find everything we need. Father, we pray, walk with us this week. Allow us to pursue and enjoy all that you have created us for. We ask these things in your name. Amen.